You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Daddy Longlegs, Scat Daddy's only proven son at stud in North America. Crowned champion freshman sire in Chile, Daddy Longlegs has already sired three graded stakes winners from his first two crops of runners, including a champion two-year-old colt. A talented runner himself who won multiple graded stakes on multiple surfaces, he's passing that versatility onto his progeny with stakes winners on dirt and turf. Daddy Longlegs, a tailor-made stallion. Call today to book. Welcome to another edition of the Horse Ownership Experience. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of the Little Red Feather Racing Club. Alongside of me, as always, from parts unknown, the great, the effervescent Michelle Yu. Michelle, welcome back. What a weekend. Woo! So much fun. It was so awesome. great to have it racing a, back. It was a great weekend. I do feel like, though, our guests might think that you were introducing him with that wonderful intro. Well, listen, I've never met our guest uh, in person who is on the line right now. His name is Josh Stevens. He runs Josh Stevens Bloodstock. It's jsbloodstock.com. And he doesn't probably know this, but he was pretty much responsible for one of my current favorite horses. I have a man crush on By My Standards. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So, did you know that I had kind of a crush on by my uh, by my standards? No, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be the first. You're a long way down on this list of. Uh, <laughs> I have been a fan. I have been riding him all year ever since his comeback. I loved his comeback race. Loved his second start. I, I just everything about what he's done this year has been perfect. Um, Josh, before we get into him and and your current line of uh, business. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give our audience what you do. I know you're a bloodstock agent, but you do more. I saw your site. Give us a little history of the Josh Stevens uh, horse racing journey. Yeah, so I, I grew up around Louisville, Kentucky, southern Indiana area. Uh, my family is in the restaurant business. They have no idea what I actually do for money. Um, but I went to the University of Louisville through their equine program, uh, minor in finance and Came out, moved down to Lexington, and started working on Margot Farm. Um, three or four years into that, I, I met a client, and uh, they decided to start letting some 24-year-old kids start buying horses for them, and uh, that's where it all started, really. Let me stop you there. First of all, uh, w when you're at Louisville and you're getting in, uh, do they these programs? Because a lot of people might not know this. Are you looking? Are you doing um, confirmation? Are you learning how to look at a horse? Are you doing field studies? What are you actually doing there so that you know it, you're in your twenties and you are learning about this these horses? The the Louisville program was more of a business based program. I came out of there with a business degree. Um, you take classes that go along with the equine business part of it, which is more sales, taxation, equine industry. It's a lot less hands-on, which was what I needed when I got down to Lexington. Uh, but it's, it's mainly just, you know, learning about markets and finances and having speakers come in that are in the business. Uh, so it just gives you a cursory view of the business and how it functions. Was your client... Josh, did you oh, know... sorry. Sorry, Michelle. Sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Go ahead. Did you know that you wanted to go into the bloodstock stock of the bloodstock side of things when you went into the program? I went to U of L to the business program also, but uh, I was a little more unprepared for what aspect they were actually teaching in the program. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do, honestly. Like college sounded like just a bum, you know, a bummer to me. But it was one of those things when. When you were growing up in, in my generation, everybody was going to go to college. So 
I tried to find something that I thought would be fun. Uh, I was always a fan of horse racing, didn't really have the background that a lot of people in the business do. Uh, so I was just kind of going into it head first, trying to see what came of it. I didn't really realize uh, that I wanted to be a bloodstock agent until we had uh, Bob Feld come talk to us, who you guys know. Um, and Bob's a blast, you know, whether you're talking about food or drinking or <laughs> horses or anything. He's just always, he's always a blast to talk to. But, you know, we're halfway through his, his presentation. I'm thinking like, dang, this sounds like a great, uh, a great job to have. Um, and then the very next sentence, he, he goes on to tell us that everybody wants to be a bloodstock agent. So good luck. Um, and really the only thing you have to do to be a bloodstock agent is print business cards and go out and start telling people that you are. (laughs) That's, that's when the light bulb kind of came on. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. What could be wrong with that? Yeah. Uh, Bob Feld, uh, I've known Bob Feld basically my whole life, I think. Uh, and, and obviously his son, his son, Sean, and yes, Bob Feld bloodstock. Very important. That's amazing that he was, he was kind of inspired you. And so you go to Margot Farm, and I have, was Gunpowder, is that your first big client? Yeah, Gunpowder uh, Tom was Keithley. a couple that I met. Tom Keithley yeah, is a, is yeah, a, a great Tom guy. And, yeah. Tell us yeah, about awesome the meeting. And, yeah, tell us about the meeting and how that went down. When I was at Margot, we were just starting. Margot Farm is a is a huge training facility now. That's kind of their main, uh, their main sale is training and layups and rehabilitation within Kentucky. Uh, and when I was there, we were just kind of starting down that path of building the all weather gallops and really selling that side of things. And Tom had been a partner, uh, in a couple partnerships and him and his wife decided that they wanted to try it for themselves. They'd been through the partnership thing and had some success and really just wanted to have ownership of what they were doing. So I met Tom, uh, I was in my job at Margo at the time was recruiting and client communications and just kind of being that liaison between the the different divisions at the farm. Um, and when I met Tom, he said, this is what we want to do. Uh, we need somebody to do it. And I was kind of the guy that had the time on his hands to go to sales and, and start looking at horses. And I had sales experience from a selling side, uh, but never a buyer side. And, And like I said, for a guy like that to take a chance on somebody my age, getting into the business I, I wouldn't be here without that opportunity why do you think he gave you that chance what was it let's why don't you brag a little bit it's okay we can do that on the horse ownership <laughs> experience i do it all the time and michelle laughs at me um but what 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 do you think he saw in you that made him give you that opportunity because that's that's hard that's tough to do especially with a lot of people who have so much experience out there looking at horses well i think that anything you do in life it's important to be able to communicate and have a good attitude um, and just kind of uh, be a part of the team. And I think I've always had those qualities of kind of pulling a team together and managing everything, no matter if it was in jobs in college or in the horse business. But I think what Tom saw in me was somebody who was hungry, uh, wanted to do it, could listen to their goals and work with them. And I wasn't a guy that had been in the business so long that I was setting my ways. Uh, where they wanted to be very hands-on, and that kind of allowed them to approach it the way they wanted to. But it also, you know, gave me an opportunity to to put my input into it and and use the things that I had learned while I was at Margo. Well, Josh, so you printed up your business cards and you went to the sales here. Uh, what has been something that you look for? Because obviously, you've done an excellent job picking out really good horses. You know what, what Bob said in that, uh, in that speech that he gave to us that day, uh, 
besides some other life uh, advice that he gave us, which I won't mention on on air, but maybe over a drink sometime. Um, I'm sure it involves karaoke and nail polish. (laughs) (laughs) That's Bob, definitely. Um, But basically, it was his his advice in looking for athletes was, you know, go to the big races, go to the paddock, look at the horses in the paddock, and start to create that blueprint for what your target horse is. You know, there's no better place to see top horses than in the paddock on big race days so he said just go and start to form an opinion of you know look at what those horses look like and imprint that in your brain and then just go find horses that look like that um and when i started working for tom we had alan porter who does uh true nicks and pedigree consultants we had byron rogers who does heart scans and genetics so everybody had their role my role was to go find the athlete the, the athletic horses so the way that I approach my buying to this day is to just go find a pure athlete. Don't worry about who they're by, what their pedigree is. Um, I don't worry all that much about the vetting or confirmation. I just try to find the most athletic horses I can find. And then we worry about the other stuff as we go. You know, we do look at pedigree. We do look at heart scores, but we try to start with a very good group of individuals and then go from there. That's very interesting because a lot of people will say, I look at, and Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, uh, even in the four years or five years we've been doing the show, people come on and we've spoken to bloodstock agents and they talk about, oh, I look for confirmation and I make sure their angles are right and I, may, and I, look, and I don't want any vet work. And you just kind of dispelled that right away, which I think is a very interesting and different tact. Um, and it's been successful, but... Is the it, you do you still have to kind of look at those other things, don't you? You do, and I had some good advice. So I, I was unique in the sense that I never got to work under a bloodstock agent. I didn't work for somebody coming through. Um, I didn't really learn the ropes. I learned the ropes through the mistakes that I made. But I had some very good help along the way. I had a vet early on in Dr. Rogerson who would always tell us, you know, the the comments I make on the vet sheet tells me nothing about how good this horse is it tells me the risk that's involved with this horse and that's all i can relay to you but mm-hmm. you know he was very adamant early on that it doesn't matter how well conformed they are or how clean their vet sheet is if they're not fast that stuff doesn't make them fast so go find a fast horse and then let's do a risk assessment and decide what you can pay for that horse if you thought it was a half million dollar horse and it's got some risk associated with it, then just adjust your price, but don't take yourself off the horse unless it's a serious issue. You know, but he said always stay in athletic horses and then just worry about the risk factors and what we pay for them, and everything's worked out. That is I think that's great advice. I think it's really smart. I think it's it's definitely a different way of doing things, but obviously you've been around the right people. You So you have uh, Gunpowder, you have the Keith Lees, and then uh, uh, how was how the meeting with, uh, with uh, the allied blood uh, people who were by my standards and, and obviously uh, Brett Calhoun? Where did, that, where did that come into play? What's the next evolution of Josh Stevens' bloodstock? So my, my heart horse, the heart, the horse that, you know, made me who I am and gave me the opportunities was to visit arrow. Um, we won three straight greatest stakes races on Derby day with the visit arrow. And obviously three years of winning graded stakes races on Derby day, get you a lot of recognition. Um, so when I met Chester Thomas, I think it was a Thursday at Keeneland and 
we were sitting up in the in the paddock bar drinking beer. We told all our girlfriends that we were working, but you know, you're just hanging <laughs> out up there hoping you run into somebody. And uh, Buff Bradley, who was training to visit Arrow at the time, was had just started training for Chester Thomas of Allied Racing. Um, and he said, "Hey, I think you need to come down and meet this guy today in the paddock. Uh, he's been in the game for a while now, but he seems like he wants to get into better horses." Um, so I just I went down to the paddock, introduced myself. Um, it was spring meet at Keeneland. We were gearing to visit Arrow up for a third straight graded stakes race on Derby day. Um, so we chatted a little bit and Buff and I invited him, you know, Chester goes to Derby every year, but we invited him to, you know, come down to the paddock and be a part of it. Um, we won the Woodford reserve that day and Chester was in the winter circle. And, uh, I think that just proved to him that that's where he wanted to play the game at. And, uh, that next summer and fall we started buying horses for him and uh he's been a great client like you know in bloodstock everybody wants more clients it seems like but to have an owner like chester that allows you to do your thing and to really kind of show off what your strengths are is like a dream in the bloodstock business because a lot of people have their own ideas about how they want to operate it you know they got preconceived notions of what they want to buy but, you know, a couple of years of working with Chester and he's really just giving me the reins as far as buying horses. And, you know, we make a great team. Brett does the training. Uh, Chester's there to help make the big decisions. And then I do the buying and, you know, everybody kind of does what they're good at. And and it's worked out really well. Josh, in addition to uh, buying horses, you also consign with small batch sales. Can you tell us a little bit about that side of your business? Yeah, uh, Fletcher and Mock and I started small batch sales. I think this will be our third sales season. Um, we were really just kind of hanging out at the November sale one year, talking about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to grow our businesses. And I had consignment background with Margo. I ran their consignment for a couple years. Um, and we were just talking about opportunities in the business. And, and we started talking about consigning. And Fletcher said, hey, I'll do the, I'll do all the work. I'll sell the horses. I'll be at the barn. Um, you get out there and start recruiting horses. And it, it was really just a way that when you're involved with these owners and cultivating and growing their programs, that you can have something to show for it at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we saw an opportunity through a boutique operation. We, we try not to have more than eight horses per book. Uh, or per day at the sale, which really gives us a good oversight of everybody, how they're showing, gives us time to speak to the potential buyers. Um, we really saw some value in that because when you get to the sale and they're selling 400 horses a day, from a buyer standpoint, your head's spinning. From a seller right. standpoint, your head's spinning. Sure. And that's just kind of a calm place you can go and you can get you know any information you need from Fletcher. Um, he can really make sure that the horses do their best while they're at the sale and it's really kind of a crazy environment because we put two to three years into these matings and growing these horses and prepping them and making sure every little blemish on them is perfect. And then you literally get maybe a minute to a minute and a half in front of a buyer. And mm -hmm. when you're, when you're at the big sale in September, you get one day to show and then you sell the next day. Um, so it's a very important thing to people that are raising horses and that do this for a business that their horses get, the best opportunity they can in front of each potential buyer. So hence, hence the name small batch opportunity. I like that. Hence, <laughs> exactly. hence the name, right? Exactly. And that's a play yeah, on whiskey. Yeah, Come like, on now. Yeah. We like to sip a little whiskey too, not at the consignment, but afterwards. Yeah. You should have Josh, it at the consignment. Uh, 
since you're doing like <laughs> a small group of horses, how, how do you make the decision? Just say you have like an overflow. Do you just go ahead and take them and try and expand? Or do you really kind of call the horses that aren't meeting your criteria? The way that we've approached it is that we're happy to take on more horses to sell. Um, but the way that we've approached it is that we want you know, a couple years from now, once we've established our name and really started to grow, we want buyers to know that when they come to our consignment, no matter what book it is, we're happy to sell at the last day of Keeneland or whatever. But when mm -hmm. they come to our consignment, we want them to know that they're going to see quality individuals. So okay. what we've done from a seller standpoint in advising our clients is you've got a good individual, but we want every ind individual to stand out within their group of peers on that day. So mm -hmm. if we get to where we've got, you know, 10 or 15 book two horses, what we'll try to do is really separate the top from the bottom and maybe push those, those bottom seven book two horses into book three, where they really stand out. So, right. so far we've been able to shuffle all that around, but there will be a point where we, you know, where we just top the numbers off and we just say, look, we're, we're full at that, you know, with that, with that type of horse and, you know, we'll, we'll start to pick our spots, but we really just want, when you come to the consignment for you to see horses that fit well within that group. And we want people to know when they come to the consignment that they're going to find athletes and they're going to find horses that they want to buy. Josh Stevens joining us on the horse ownership experience. Josh, interesting time right now, obviously with the pandemic, we have some big two-year-old sales coming up. Uh, Two-part question. One, I'm assuming you're going question to the OBS sale, which is in a couple weeks, I believe. And and two, what's your take on, on the sales, these two-year-old and training sales that are coming up? Because obviously we're in a different state than we've ever been in before. We've had canceled sales. These sales are going to have a ton of horses at them. Are you thinking bargains possibly here or are, what are you thinking? Well, I think the March sale was kind of a good uh, precursor to what I think we're going to see in the future sales. The March sale at, in Ocala, the first day, everybody was kind of tentative about you know, if they were going to spend money, what they were going to do. And you saw a drastic drop in the average compared to last year on that first day. Uh, by the second day, it seemed like things leveled out. So I think you see a little bit of both of those. I had plenty of guys call me and say, hey, it seems like it's going to be a good time to buy. And so we took advantage of that. Uh, but I also had guys that said, hey, you know, I don't know where this is going. The market's just crashed in front of us. Oil's down. Uh, why don't we hold off? So I think that the the buyer's market per se did even things out a little bit. You did have guys come back in and buy more. Um, but I think that this upcoming sale in Ocala with the market having come back uh, almost 50% from, you know, the drop that it took, um, I think you're going to see people buying. My concern with the two-year-old sales from my point of view is that we like to buy the horses at the two-year-old sale and then give them 60 days off just to recuperate and get some grass and, and fill back out. Um, so for the type of horses I'm trying to buy that get on the Derby trail and, and that sort of thing, it makes our timeline a little tight. Um, but well, I just well like we have till September. We have till September <laughs> of, of, of this year for the ones that, from last year. You got so much time. I'm, <laughs> if they if they would do that again for us next year, right. I'd probably get some guys back on board. But maybe they was, will. I had a couple. 
I had a couple owners uh, joking with me. You know, we had a couple Colts on layup, and they called me right after they announced that. They said, well, we still got time to get back on the Derby Trail. Huh? <laughs> I think so. everybody said that. <laughs> that I think everybody good. said that. Josh Stevens, before we <laughs> let you go, uh, uh, give us an update on uh, By My Standards, who who obviously was awesome at Oaklawn. Um, what's next for him? Man, what a dream horse. I mean, that the way he ran at Oaklawn was just, you know, he did all the hard work the whole way. He pushed the pace himself. Um, it seems like he'll probably uh, go to the Stephen Foster at Churchill Downs. We had talked about going out to California for the grade one. Um, but, you know, to walk out of your stall and run in a big race like that, it's just so easy. Um, obviously, we're pointing at the Breeders' Cup Classic. So we'll take care of the horse. We'll pick our spots. Um, and we'll try to keep that dream alive of running him in the classic at Keeneland in the fall. That would be amazing. What about Mr. Money, another big name horse that uh, is Allied Racing Stable and, and a Josh Stevens product? Mr. Money was our, um, you know, kind of met mile horse going into the year. He he ran a little bit longer as a three year old, but the the regional derbies kind of dictate the distance that you run at. But we kind of had the idea to back him up and try to make him a met mile horse this year. Um, he didn't run all that great at Oaklawn, but we kind of felt like it was the track that day. It was kind of wet, had just started raining. So we're going to run him in the blame at Churchill Downs. It's just kind of a get back on track race, uh, and then see how the schedule pans out. But, you know, he's a horse that we expect to be at the top level, um, come late summer. An up-and-coming Bloodstock agent, Josh Stevens, you've already made a name for yourself very quickly. We appreciate you taking the time. We hope you and your family are safe, and, and hopefully, will you be at OBS? I will. I will. I'll be happy to be there. Get out well, of yeah. the house. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of flying in too. I. I have. I have. I'm not sure about getting on a plane. Michelle, are you okay with me getting on a plane? Um, I don't know about that, Billy. If you get on a plane, like you're gonna have to have a major quarantine. <laughs> I think when I get back. Yes. Or if I get back. <laughs> Well, no, you'll get back, but you know, Josh, I don't know about all those Florida people. They don't believe in social distancing. No, they have no masks there. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Really nice getting to know you. Congratulations on all your success, and I will buy you a whiskey if I am in Ocala in a couple weeks. That sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Thank you so much, Josh. Josh Stevens here on the Horse Ownership Experience, and we'll be right back after this. Come join us at Santa Anita for exciting live thoroughbred action from now until June 21st. And with our new Ultimate Fan Experience, you can get immersed in Santa Anita like never before. Your Ultimate Experience package includes a meet and greet with a trainer at their barn in the morning, breakfast at Clocker's Corner, a box for the day, and an afternoon tour including visiting track announcer Frank Miramati in the announcer's booth. For upcoming events, guarantees, and everything that's happening at the great race place, visit SantaAnita.com slash events. And we are back, back. Michelle, we're back. We're back racing. We are back. And now we're back. <laughs> Is that what you from think? From outer me? space. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Michelle, yeah, our um, guest is Josh Stevens, great, great guest. Uh, uh, very informative. I like his theories, and I look forward to meeting him. What a, a young guy. He's 33. Yes. You and he went to Louisville at the same time, right? He's 33. No, he's old. He's younger than me. I'm way older than him. No, Michelle, you're not. Yeah, just I tell am, people though, that you're 33. I'm t yes, I'm 33. We went to school together. I was 33 so long ago. It's so scary. 
Um, well, all right, like let's uh, let's get to it because we had a we had a great weekend of action that I'm sure people want to hear our takes on because why else would they be listening to the show unless they want to hear us talk to each other? Um, people do like to hear us talk to each other. Though. I know they really do. What? Um, uh, let's go through it. I, what were the big the big moments? Were Monomoy Girl uh, uh, coming back in an allowance race, uh, destroying a field of of. You know, talk Vov to me. She was in there. She's a past classer. I mean, but Monomoy Girl just ran away. There she was like two stakes horses number. in there. I think she got like an 85 buyer. I didn't see any sheet numbers on her. It was it was visually impressive. She did what she was supposed to do, and it's a good building block, right? Nothing more than that. I don't yes. think I don't think everybody, you know, I, oh, my God, Monomoy well, Girl's back. Let's I mean, be the honest. hype. That was the Monomoy Girl Invitational, right? right? Exactly. Like, she'd okay. been off for 18 months. That's a long time, and... It was nice that she was able to win the way we expected her to. But again, it was kind of expected. So now on to bigger and better things. Sure. Uh, I cannot wait for a rematch with Midnight Bizu. That's going to be good. And you know what, Michelle? Um, entries were taken this morning for uh, an overnight $100,000 stake at Churchill on Saturday. And we're in there with uh, Vault, mm-hmm. who we own in partnership with a bunch of people. Uh, it's actually Mirth's little sister. And she is in the right. race and supplemented in the race is Dunbar Road, who is a grade who won the grade one Alabama. Oh, yeah. Whoops. And also uh, she's a Julie who won the La Troen grade one last year at Ch- at Churchill Downs. Though They're both making their 2020 debuts in a, in a hundred thousand dollar overnight stake. You know what that's called? Uh, very tough race. The Sean. Is this the Shawnee? It's the Shawnee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the Shawnee, and it's going to be a really good race. I talk, I was talking to Brad Cox, who trains for us, uh, about a week ago, and I said, "What about that race, the Shawnee?" And he said to me, and I quote, "It's going to be as tough as Tarzan's feet." <laughs> Have you? That's what he said to me, and I'm like, <laughs> I was dying. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Brad I've Cox never, is a jewel. I've never heard that expression before. So of course, I see the entry go up today, and I text Cox, and I say. Tough as Tarzan feet, huh? Question mark? Because I didn't even think we were entering. Uh, shows you how much I know. Um, right. So uh, anyway, but that's on that's on Saturday at Churchill Downs. So we saw Monomoy Girl, and then we had some big races out at Santa Anita. Santa Anita was awesome this weekend. The weather was per- perfect. The races were great. Big, huge fields. Uh, the gambling was incredible, I thought. Uh, Flavian Pratt with a six-win Sunday. Was that Sunday? Six-win Sunday? Yeah, it was Sunday. And, and Bella Fina um she likes santa anita michelle she loves santa anita she does not like to ship she does great from her stall and i mean mean, she won the way you want to see her win so good for her just keep her local stop sending her out of town kaleem shaw um simon callahan bellafina the desert stormer i believe it was michelle if you own bellafina would you go anywhere no right like just stay home just run here run at del mar you know, maybe and ship I'll to the Breeders' you, Cup. She runs like she runs really well fresh. Like if there's not a race, you just train her and then you run her where you want to. Like I know that they're trying to take advantage of like races and grade ones and money, but like she just doesn't run good out of town. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. How about uh, Mark Glatt though and Big Sweep? Ooh, I mean, he was really good. Big sweep and Philly against the boys. Illusion. I thought Collusion Illusion, <laughs> who was who was on the Derby Trail last year before being injured, and he was so impressive um, in his comeback attempt, running he against 
unbelievably yeah, impressive. Really impressive. Older horses. Yeah. And he's like miniature. He's like the teeny tiniest little horse when he was on the track. I don't remember who was in front of him, but like he was wearing him down. Yeah. And he's like half the size of the horse in front of him. Oh, he was he was he was very impressive. Mark Lat, huge weekend. Pratt, huge weekend. And obviously your son. Huge weekend. Yeah, Spencer had a huge weekend. Yeah. What did Spencer do this weekend? Oh, uh, Spencer just moaned and groaned because uh, you know, mom's back at work, so oh, he no. and dad had horses every day. So well let's talk about be, uh, let's talk about the, the Hansen you connection of Kana. He ran really good. Uh, uh, you want to mute it and I'll talk for a second so you can take care of your kid? I mean, this is... There. Okay. I fixed it. You fixed it. I know what you did, too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if everybody doesn't know, I know what he, how she fixes things. Um, <laughs> Kana, who uh, coming off a layoff, um, a little bit of layoff. Everybody's coming off, off a layoff. layoff. Right. Second off the layoff. Yeah. yeah. And he, he ran... For those of you who don't know or weren't watching Santa Anita, Santa Anita, it was the last race on Friday... Mm-hmm. And, you know, big pick six. Everything was going. Uh, Baffert had two horses in there, uh, American Code, and he had a first-time starter named Big Mel. Both of them had big works. They were getting bet. Also in the race was um, Lane, Lane, Way, Lane Way. Right, mm-hmm. for Spendthrift. And, and he had gotten just beat by a charlatan, Nadal, and uh, Shooter Shoot. Yeah, so it was a very – those three horses figured in the race. And there were 12 horses in yeah, the race. And Kana was kind of the four, probably the fourth choice. And just came with a massive run, blew everybody away under Mike Smith. And, you know, I'm sure, Michelle, you got a lot of congratulations. That is a really tough race to win, especially at this time of the year. Um, and, and kudos to Ryan, who's done a great job, obviously, with the horse. And I know he's one of the hardest working guys out there, and he deserves races like that. And so do you. So kudos to both of you. Congratulations. You, Billy. That was very nice. He's been a labor of love, that horse. So I was What was very his problem? Glad. Are you allowed to say, like, what, what happened? Um, way back when he got hurt, he had an ankle injury and we just, you know, obviously he had plenty of time off and Ryan rehabbed him and didn't want him to have to go anywhere. So we've been taking care of him like ourselves the whole time that he was coming back. And then, uh, when he came back, he had like, a he just wasn't like doing good. Like he was an angry horse. <laughs> really? So like. Yeah, when he was when he got back into training, he was just angry and not a happy guy. So like, we got the chiropractor out to look at him, and we got him like a big pit of sand to roll in, and like some balls to play, just mental stuff. And he got so much happier when he could like get out and play, and because you know coming back from an injury, you had he had to be on stall rest, so he was just angry and. It took, you know, you had to figure out what he wanted to play with. So there were like treat balls and buckets we hung and playing in the sand every morning for like 15 minutes. He loved to dig holes in the sand and stuff like that. And it got him so much happier. And he's kind of lazy to train, too. So like in the mornings, like he's hard to hold jogging wise. But like when he works, if he's working by himself, I mean, he'll work 52, 53, 54, not even think of it, like unless he has a target. So I know on paper it didn't look like from a work standpoint he was like doing good, but that's just the way he's always been. But isn't that, you know, it, it's a tribute. And for the people who don't understand what these trainers do, 
Um, and it's not just Ryan Hansen, although we're talking about him now. It's a lot of these trainers who are 24-7 thinking about these horses and, and right. little tricks and little things to get them happy. And, you know, I think people and especially, um, you know, owners and gamblers, we expect our horses just going to go out there, just run their race every single time. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. They're right. just not always doing the best that they can do. And that's why these trainers earn their keep and earn their money and continue to get, you know, better and better horses. And hopefully that will happen for uh, the Hanson family. Um, what well, do we have coming you. up this weekend? Anything fun? Um, I know we can't well, go. I mean, hey, what? <laughs> let me stop there. What? what it's funny. Um, Eric Sod, uh, Sodenheimer, I think. Sodenheimer, yeah. Yeah, he called me yesterday. He and, did? Yeah, he wanted to talk to me about the owner's frustration of not being able to go out to the track. And okay. he was he was pushing me and pushing me and pushing me for like he wanted me to basically like come out against he wanted you to Santa bitch. Anita and yeah. bitch. And I'm like, Eric, at, at one point I'm like, Eric, I'm not gonna do that. I'm like, yes. Right. Am I am I upset and and frustrated and devastated that I can't go see my horse? Absolutely. But I'm not right. angry enough that I'm like leaving the game or I'm going to go out there secretly and go see my like I'm not doing that. And right. and I said our partners are the same way. Listen, and for anybody who's listening, the most important thing that we have right now is that the horses are running and that's what we need. That's the number one thing. Then Hopefully, as restrictions lift and our country returns to somewhat normalcy, um, our owners will be able to trickle back in there and we'll be able to go and enjoy it. Because I said to him, I said, listen, I, this is my life. This has been my life for a long time. I miss the horses. I miss the smells. Right. I miss the people. I miss the hot walkers. I miss the jockeys, my trainers. I miss running into you. I miss, you know, I miss all that stuff. But number one, horses are running. That's a positive. Yep. That's where we are right now. And Santa exactly. did a great job with the health department, Aiden and, and Nate Newby and Fravel and all these guys getting the races back going. Now that they're back going, now it is time to focus on getting us back out there. But to say that, you know, to try to get us to kind of go against them is just not worth it to me. Right. I agree. It's yeah. It's like, would you rather run your horses or not run them? You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's not about people being there at this time. No. No, but nope. and and listen. At the same time, I, listen. I I send notes on a daily basis. Hey, what are we thinking? When right. can we come back? Is there a chance we can come back in the mornings? You know. Um, I mean, at this point, like I'm not even. I'm an essential employee, like for work, but like I can't go on the backside. I can't go see my horses at the barn. So right. you know, there it's it's pretty strict as far as where oh, you're allowed to. I don't migrate. think pretty strict. I think it's very strict. But what what right. I'm saying is. Now's the time to start putting in the next protocols. Let's call it phase two, where owners can come out, social distance, be in the – listen, that, let's be honest. The grandstand's pretty big, okay? Uh, you can have well, that's, sections. Well, I was kind and, of making a mental plan, like, for Del Mar. Like, they should – because, like, right now what we have outside the walking ring for grooms is, like, an umbrella and a bench for each groom with a big number of, like, what – you know, your number one horse here. This is number one groom sits here. And, like, six to eight feet away is another bench with an umbrella for groom number two, you know? Yeah. And they have the same thing on the front side for the trainers. So everyone's really far away, and you have to – if you're going to be watching, um, you have to stand in your area. I think we need something similar for – the afternoons for the owners to come back, uh, you know, where everyone can be sure. far enough apart. But then, like in your guys' case, they're probably going to have to limit, like, you know, if you have 50 partners on a horse, they all can't come to the races. Well, I, let's not speculate. 
I don't think speculation for Delmar is a good thing at this time. I know they're working hard to figure out what they're going to do. Um, my hope is that licensed owners will be able to come out with a friend or a family member. Um, I hope by the middle of July that, that California is has lightened its restrictions and hopefully we're Wouldn't in a that better be place. Nice? So let's not, I don't want to speculate at this time. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm in contact constantly with, uh, you know, uh, David Jerkins and Craig Dato and, and Josh Rubenstein mm-hmm. at Del Mar. And, and they all know, trust me, if you're an owner and you're listening to the show, everyone knows that we want to get the owners back out there. Oh, we yeah. are pushing for it. It just doesn't, we just don't need a fight right now. It's just not worth it. So, no, especially like for Del Mar, though, because it is, they're in a little bit more lenient um, jurisdiction. And they're already opening some stuff up beforehand. Like I hold up a little bit higher hope well, for it to happen during Del Mar. If the restaurants are open, then they have to be open, right? If you can go right. to a restaurant and get kind food, of. you can go to the racetrack. The racetrack's outdoors and wide open. I mean, you can social right. distance. I mean, you can wear a mask. the wide open thing is like key, right? Yeah, like it's that it's open. outside and everything. Everyone just needs to relax. Michelle, um, what else do we oh, have? this what, weekend. Yeah. There's huge. Okay, there's four racing days this weekend. Yes. At Santa Anita. Yes. And we have an amazing Monday card. Um, including the grade one Gamely, the grade one Shoemaker Mile, the grade two Monrovia, War of Will, your Prickness winner from last year is coming in for the Shoemaker Mile. On Saturday, we have the grade two Whittingham and the grade three Daytona. So there are some excellent stakes races this weekend at Santa Anita. Sounds great. Michelle, I'm going to pimp something that I don't normally do. Oh, I'm going on the, okay. um, the Ren Carruthers show on Friday afternoon. Have you ever done that? It's a Future Stars Progress. It's for the Breeders' Cup. We're going to talk all about Singletary because I think on Saturday morning they are re-showing the the Singletary Breeders' Cup mile from uh, from Lone Star. So I think that's on TVG on Saturday morning. So I'm going on uh, awesome. I'm going on this Breeders' Cup Future Stars Friday forecast featuring Ren Carruthers. Do you uh, do you know Ren? It's Matt. Yeah, I do know Ren. Are you not friends with Mm -hmm. Matt? You seem kind of down. No, no, not at all. She seems I, nice. I, yeah, I sat next to her at Mike Joyce's wedding. You did. I'm going to bring that up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that up. <laughs> uh, special thanks to Santa Anita Del Mar, uh, uh, especially TaylorMade, who who allow us to do this show. Special thanks to Josh Stevens for coming on and his bloodstock agency. Best of luck to horses like By My Standards and Mr. Money and Allied Racing. Uh, special thanks to Michelle Yu, who, who has two kids uh, and works every day with her horses and then does broadcasting all weekend. I don't know how you've done this in this crazy time for the rest of you. Uh, be safe. And, and But you know what? Here's my thing for the day. Here's my Billy Soapbox, Michelle. Live your life. Okay? Live your life. You don't have to. Oh, boy. If you don't. F- oh, if, boy. If you, what? Sorry. Are we going to have a fight about this? We live, might. Okay. Live your life. Bye. Bye, everyone. You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Daddy Longlegs, Scat Daddy's only proven son at stud in North America. Crowned champion freshman sire in Chile, Daddy Longlegs has already sired three graded stakes winners from his first two crops of runners, including a champion two-year-old colt. A talented runner himself who won multiple graded stakes on multiple surfaces. He's passing that versatility onto his progeny with stakes winners on dirt and turf. Daddy Longlegs, a tailor-made stallion. Call today to book.